Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, tomorrow people, and welcome back to another Mint Condition Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Today's episode is laced with Tomorrowland's gift ideas, earphones that can hear you talking silently, artificial fingers that can sense materials, and electric fly swatters for people who like to add a little bit of excitement to their pest control. And who better to fill in the gaps, connect the dots, and link you to a better and brighter future than our very own tech-talking think tank, it's Matthew Dickerson. What's been happening in your world, Matthew? Well, I like, first of all, the fact that you talked about gift ideas. That's a subtle hint for everyone listening out there that's got a dad, Father's Day is coming up, so just get ready there. There might be a few little things that you might see here or hear. I was trying to be subliminal, but you've just um, just blown it out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) So this week I want to talk a little bit about pretty old technology really, but something that people don't always think about. Now I've got one of the various events that I'm involved with, there's a Rotary event, and they have a bunch of four-wheel drives that go out back through the middle of New South Wales, sometimes into Victoria and South Australia and Queensland. It's an adventure. It's an adventure, that's right. Now safety is obviously the number one issue. There's someone organising the event, there's an organising committee, it's often happens with those things, and you've got 50 people out there or 50 cars with multiple people in each car and it's fair to say that they're not always four-wheel drive experts, they're not Mm. always experts in getting from A to B in outback areas. So there's a process where people have got to do certain things to make sure that everyone's safe. In the past, the process has been you start the day and you've got a board with hooks on it, 50 hooks, 50 key rings, here's your key ring Mr Eddie, make sure at the end of the day you hook that key ring back on this hook, we know you're safe. Right. As you can imagine, people get to the pub that night, they're talking about what a great adventure they Still had. Still waiting for number 49 to come in. And number 49 sitting there at the bar. Hold on, we're <laughs> worried about number 49. Where is number 49? I'm sure he's here somewhere or he's going to have a shower or he's going to do something on his vehicle or whatever. It's been a fairly clumsy system in the past. It was a system. Yeah. yeah right. But I'm not saying it was a perfect system. Now, fairly old technology is obviously GPS. The places they're going, they don't have mobile phone reception, as you can imagine. Mm. Two-way radios are fine, but they've only got certain range. But GPS has been around for a long time, and you can track where you are with GPS. But, of course, there are devices. And, again, this isn't a brand-new device, but it just goes to show that sometimes things don't have to be brand-new in technology to really give you a huge advantage or even just discovering them. So when I sat down with the committee and talking to, about some of the organisation for this event, I actually said, quite innocently, why don't you use GPS trackers? And they said, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) And I understand that people understand GPS typically where you can look on a device and see where you are, but that doesn't help someone that much seeing where someone else might be. And I explained that there are GPS devices out there that will actually fairly simply give you a map that shows you where everyone is, and they were blown away by this. So I organised 50 of these trackers. Every car has now got one of those trackers. They've actually left as we're speaking today. Oh, wow. They've got one of those trackers in each vehicle. They have to have reception, of course, where they want to look at a website to see where all those vehicles are. But normally when they get to the end of each day, they normally do have reception of some description. It mightn't be brilliant reception, but they've got some reception. But people out there, along as they go, obviously they're out in the middle of nowhere. Could be anywhere. But now, instead of having 
little hooks with key rings. They hook on the little hook. Then now they can just open up a web browser and go, yep, we've got everyone here. Oh, what's Mr. Eddie doing? Stuck in a 50 creek. <laughs> 50 kilometres out the back there. Right, we better send our sweep out there and go and help him out there. Obviously, there's a problem. Now, you've got some buttons on there as well. You can't send a text message to say something help, as I'm a message. Help, I'm stuck in a creek. But you can send a message. It's predetermined what the message says. Oh, right, okay. And there's a couple of buttons there. So there's one that says SOS. Now, you put that, push that one if you're bleeding out. That's the one that sends the helicopter oh, in. Okay. That if you're just saying, oh, I just wasn't sure whether I should just take a left or a right here. Yeah, or I've left the sandwiches back at <laughs> the right. creek. Yeah. I'm having trouble undoing this beer. Then that's not the one for you because you'll right. get a $10,000 bill or thereabouts if you oh. send the emergency crews out. But that's the one. You're bleeding out. You've been hit by a killer kangaroo. You've had yeah. a, a snake take off your little toe, whatever. If it's one you'd call an ambulance for, hit that button, sure, and you'll get some pretty good response. There's another button that just says help. This is the I'm stuck in a creek type mm. thing. A couple other buttons there you can use as well, but they're pretty good little devices. Yeah, cool. Pretty simple. They let people know where you are so you can have your friends track where you are across every day. But more importantly, if something does happen, again, it could be as simple as a flat tyre, can't change the tyre, whatever, press that button and you know at some stage someone will go, oh, we better go and have a look where they are, but they know where you are. Mm. So pretty simple technology, been around for a while, but it's amazing that people don't always know about those things. And it will change the colour of that trip indeed. I think just from a safety perspective, and that trip's been going for a long time, 1990 was the first trip, and they've had one rollover. Luckily, no one was seriously injured, but a rollover is pretty scary yeah. when someone comes along and there's a car sitting on its roof instead of on its wheels. And that particular trip had a doctor on there, and they normally do have a doctor with them, and they treated him on the side there. And But again, getting some emergency help there, had to get someone close enough to reception to then ring someone, to get someone to come out. and mm. It was a bit of a process. Luckily, in that situation, the person wasn't life or death. It was just injured, so they'd, they'd broken an arm, I think, from memory. But again, it probably does change that trip, and it probably also changes where they can go. So you don't have to be quite so yeah. close to some range. You can go further afield into areas that you might not have well, gone in the past. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, but I love the technology there. I love the devices. It's just such a simple thing. And they're made so simply that anyone, put it in your dash, put it on the front part of your car, you can see the sky, you're under control. You're right to go. A great idea. And we wish them all the best on their uh, endeavours and their, their adventures. Now, there are some things for which I am happy to claim that I am just plain old-fashioned about. When I buy a shirt and the sales assistant says to me confidently, you know, that's a non-iron shirt, no need to iron that one ever. I'll always give them a supportive smile, but my eyes are saying, that's an out-and-out lie, and I'm not an idiot. I don't mind ironing. That's an important point I want to make, Matt. Do you call it, them on that? Do you say, that's just a lie, Mr. Salesman? It's in the eyes. <laughs> Now, it's a necessity. Ironing's a necessity if I'm not showing, or if I am showing anything more than my shirt cuffs. And I won't believe it when people promise me that I don't need to iron. Matt, I'm calling it already. Your first story today is either a load of bunkum or a revolution for my wardrobe. Do your best on this one. Oh, I'm feeling so much pressure now. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not a fan of ironing. I just don't like the idea. And it's so I learned to iron when I was about 12, and I've been doing it ever since yeah, as right. a regular feature of my week. But isn't it old-fashioned? You take a hunk of metal, metal. and heat, and it, heat up, it up and then stick it on a flat surface and take out the creases. That's the same concept. When yeah. you had hunks of metal that you sat on the stove and heated them up, <laughs> wiped off the charcoal and then put it onto your clothes and ironed it. So the concept's been the same for a long time. Until now, James. Until oh, okay. now. All we've right. got it. Here we go, folks. Strap yourselves in. We've got a few companies out there. Samsung, LG, Anko. 
they're all building or they've all got a device. It's similar. I'm sure they'll all say that their device is better. Can I hold you up here as well? Father's Day present. You already oh, mentioned it Yes, oh, okay. yes. Right. Uh, my kids listening here, I love it, I love it. Actually, this is probably more a Mother's Day present because my wife does more ironing than I do. <laughs> oh, right, so okay. Probably, probably suit her more uh, than me. Well, it's a unisexual um, sort of endeavour right these days. Well, anyway. you're right, it is. And this would be able to be used by both sexes, oh, I'm assuming. Yeah, there you go. So you've got, in particularly in the Samsung, for example, they've got their air dresser. Now, if you just imagine a fridge that's kind of cut in half, Right. That's the sort of size we're talking about here. It's about 185 centimetres tall, about 44 centimetres deep and wide. So you can just imagine yeah, okay. a fridge. And what you do is you just hang your shirts, creases and all, in this particular air dresser. And you walk away. You can walk away for about 39 minutes. You come back. <laughs> about. About. Right. Just okay. give or take a few <laughs> seconds. And you come back and you open the door and magically, there there's your shirt. It's ironed to perfection. It's used steam, just like a dry cleaner would use steam. So it's used steam to iron that. But it gets better, James. It gets better. <laughs> Not only that, but if you want to put something in there that might be in need of a bit of a freshen up, maybe a suit, for example, maybe something that could be dry cleaned, any device or any clothing that could be dry cleaned, put it in there, put it on a cycle, a longer cycle, about 90 minutes in this particular example, mm. and that'll effectively dry clean your clothes for you. Now, there are some dry cleaners out there. I don't want you to be worried about your jobs. As much as I believe that this works, I don't think they're going to be rushing off the shelves, even for Father's Day, <laughs> because $2,700 you're pay- paying for the Samsung yeah, right. one. The LG one is about $4,000. The Anko one's a bit under two grand. So they're not cheap. You can get a fair bit of dry cleaning done. In fact, you could probably pay someone to do some ironing for you. Uh, uh, you can get some fair amount of ironing done, I reckon, for $2,700. But the concept is quite simple. It really is just like putting it in there, having some steam go through it, and having that enclosed environment where it does basically heat it up and put steam through it to come out with that beautifully crisp and iron shirt. You can also, and I really like this feature, also set a timer. And I do like it when I put a shirt on oh, I've just ironed nice it. Oh, and toasty warm. Oh, yes. <laughs> so if I'm going to get dressed at 7am, I could just set this to go and start doing its ironing at 6.21am. And I get up and I get out of the shower and I just walk to it at 7am. The alarm goes off. I open it, put on that shirt, crispy warm. I just like the idea of that. It's a <laughs> bit romantic, that notion, I think. It's almost like someone's just handed you that shirt lovingly for you to put on there. So, um, and these are available to be purchased t- today. These are available right now, oh, not something that's coming, in, coming the future. in the future. Right now, well, you, you can go. buy these. Again, a few Father's dollars Day's, involved. Father's Day just around the corner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm back in with this story as well. Springtime is just around the corner, and we all know the joy of swatting those flies and mozzies ad nauseum from sunup to sundown, October to April. And I'll have you all know that I am a fly swatting ninja with 45 years of fly swatting kung fu training behind me. I love it. It's listed as a skill on my CV. But the only way it could be more fun is if we could make it electrified. Oh, I can just feel it. What can you do for me, Matt? I can feel it now. (laughs) I have no doubt about your skills. You've talked up a big game there. I, I remember standing in assembly in year two. And just being able to catch them with my bare hands, just what about straight the, out of the air. The chopsticks, just like Karate Kid. Do you go that far? Well, that's the next step in kung fu. <laughs> I think, and the chopsticks would probably do it as well. But I think this particular device is exactly what you are after, and it's a bit cheaper than the air dresser, so it might be more likely Good to news. be a Father's Day present for your kids. <laughs> this 
is just like a squash racket. So it's a bit bigger than a normal fly squatter. Fly squatters have got a square end on them for some reason. I thought mm. they would have been circular, but they're square. And this one here is a bit like a squash racket in terms of the size, so larger than a normal fly squatter. It's circular, like a squash racket, but unlike a squash racket, <laughs> it packs 4,000 volts oh, in the wow. mesh in the actual I can racket hear head. the zap oh. and the f- smell the frying. The smell. The yes. smell. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if it actually makes it more effective at killing flies because I think just swatting flies, not many flies get that swat, especially from an expert like yourself, and then get up and brush themselves off and go, you know what? That's the best you can do. I'm just going <laughs> to fly away from here. Most of them, once they're swatted, stay swatted. But if you really want to make sure of it, I think this swatter will definitely do the job. Now, the first thing I thought of was, it sounds a bit dangerous, you know, leaving it sitting on the bench, Ooh. baby comes along, or just kids playing silly people with each other. Maybe zapping someone with 4,000 volts is not going to be the yeah. best thing ever. What they do is they've got a large mesh on both sides of the head, And that's not electrified. And it's small enough that you can't get your fingers through there, but large enough that flies and mosquitoes can go through it. Then in the middle of that is a nice fine mesh, and that's the one that's electrified. (laughs) You probably, if you try really hard, you might be able to get your little pinky finger, stick it through one of the outside pores. Very purposefully, though. That's right. And then have it charged up. Now, you can imagine the 4,000 volts, even though that sounds scary, it's not going to give you a zap for very long. And it's a zap across two parts of it. So obviously, from a human perspective, we're in trouble if we grab some electrical voltage across our two hands, goes across our heart. Mm. That's where you see some damage and people die from electrocution like that. If you stuck your finger in, it would probably feel like a little zap across your finger, maybe a little burn on your finger, but it's not going to set your heart going to some crazy rhythm. But a fly, on the other hand, is probably going to get a bit of that zap (laughs) and do some serious damage to it. So obviously, this is something that if you are serious about getting rid of your flies, this is the product for you. And it'll get you chasing flies on purpose for hours. It does sound like fun initially, doesn't it? You probably get sick of it after a while. But the good news is as well, 10,000 zaps out of one charge. There's a reasonable sized handle on it, and that's full of battery. 10,000 zaps. Again, that zap hasn't got a lot of amperage in there, doesn't zap for long, so it's not actually using a lot of battery power each time, but it does sound pretty good. I mean, you could you could walk around just scaring flies. I've got 4,000 volts here. I haven't turned it on, <laughs> but if I do... It's coming for you. If I do. And the best news, you can pick these up on Amazon, on various online sites, maybe 20, 30 bucks. So, yeah, yeah I reckon that's a Cheapest bit more chips. like what my, my kids would spend for my Father's Day present. I can smell the burnt keratin already. <laughs> <laughs> Now, here's a surprise that you just don't need ever. A woman in North London has had dozens and dozens of tourists from all over the world lob onto her front doorstep after a Booking.com scam. Sounds like a bit of a prank, Matt, but someone has probably cashed in heaps, I reckon. They have cashed in heaps. And you're right, it probably does sound like a prank. Oh, I'll play a prank on James. I'll send send people to his place. (laughs) (laughs) The only difference with this scam is what people do is they grab a random address. They might even look at the house at that address. Oh, that looks like a nice house. We'll put that on a booking site. In this case, they use booking.com, but this mm. isn't really anything directed to booking.com. You could do it with any of those shared accommodation sites. And they put their bank details in. People come along and they book the accommodation. Yeah. They obviously take the money. And then someone turns up at their doorstep and I don't know what you're talking about. We haven't got shared accommodation here. No, no, it's here on booking.com. Look at this. I just booked it and I've paid my money and everything. I wanted to prepay to get that cheaper price you offered. Yeah, so we're talking about 
a house in North London. It's just somebody's house. Just someone's house. And they've got Aussies showing up. You know, they've just travelled 24 hours. They had a 24-hour flight or whatever. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember. <laughs> never flown to London before. But, yeah, a long flight and you've landed in London. I'm looking forward to just setting up my bags and getting ready for this wonderful holiday. Yep. I want a shower. I want a bed. And I get turned away at the door. And, and you've already spent a whole bunch of money. That's right. And this and lady, this one in particular, talked about the fact that she felt terrible because people did turn up at her door looking exhausted. And there were people from all over the world, including Australia. They just wanted a shower. They just wanted a bed. But she said, sorry, I'm not, I'm not involved in share accommodation. It's, wow. I've got my house. I've got my family here. Sorry, you've got to go away. It'd so, be upsetting after one or two. And then... We're talking dozens and dozens here. She had 100 people. Oh, wow. 100 people turned up over the space of a couple of weeks. Now, I've also seen some other ones similar where people have turned up to a vacant lot. So oh. they've taken an address. They've taken some lovely photos. One person... Oh, it could I, be any house anywhere. That's right. But I read about this one where the person had this beautiful holiday villa and it wasn't as if it was so cheap that it was obvious it was a scam. Yeah. It was reasonably priced that you'd pay for a nice holiday villa, turned up and... There's my vacant block of dirt. Wow. <laughs> I guess I've got it to myself. I haven't got too many other people around here. So it is a bit of a problem. And I always like to look at these scans and see what advice could I give to try and get people to avoid this. And this one's pretty tough. You might be able to just go on Google Maps and look at the actual address. And in some cases, like the vacant lot, you'd go, hmm, the picture on that shared accommodation site looks like a wonderful villa. Mm. And Google Maps shows an old bit of dirt. Now, how long ago was that photo taken? You can look on Google Maps and see that. That was taken a year ago. They probably couldn't build a villa like that going from that vacant block mm. of dirt in a year, so that looks a bit scamish. But some of them, it is the actual house. So they look at the address, yeah. you look on Google Maps, you go, oh, yep, look at that house. That looks quite nice. I'm yeah. happy to pay my 100 bucks a night, whatever it might be, to stay there. I'll do that. So then when you turn up and the person doesn't know about it, so then what do you do? Do you start making phone calls to that person? Well, they could put their own number there and take phone calls yeah, and pretend it was anyone them. could be answering that phone. Yeah, that's right. So it makes it pretty difficult, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think some people do use some travel agents. They still exist. I thought they might have disappeared once the internet came along, but travel agents are still out there. So some people do use travel agents and maybe there's a bit more confidence because they've had someone investigated a bit further. It's also, I suppose, and I did say this isn't directed at booking.com, but it's also up to the shared accommodation sites to really keep an eye on any feedback they get to say, this is a scam, this mm. is not the real address. So take those addresses down, take them offline, try and focus on the people that have set them up in some way, shape or form. Mm. Bit of pressure on there, but yeah, sometimes they're hard to get around. So I suppose it's just, once again, just be alert, be aware of some yeah. of these scams that are out there. Oh, goodness me. Next item sounds like something dreamed up by Homer Simpson in a creative storm. What do you get when you cross a train with a jet plane? Matt, you've got a punchline here, I believe. <laughs> well, it's not Superman. <laughs> <laughs> a plane with a jet, uh, sorry, yeah, a train with a jet plane. Uh, yeah, Homer Simpson, you know, when you designed that um, that car of his dreams. It did everything. Yeah, yeah the car, the, yeah, the yeah, car yeah, that yeah. looked terrific. Well, I was actually thinking more of the, the monorail. The monorail's the monorail. a great <laughs> on Simpsons. It's the monorail or the car that had every device hanging out of it. So, so someone's decided, yeah, we can do this. We can... We can make a hybrid. Put them together, why not? And, and this is, I think, a really exciting area of technology in terms of transport. And obviously in transport, we've worked out a whole bunch of different ways to improve our transportation over the years. And I, I sometimes have the debate with people about 
what is technology? Because I talk about lots of things and I call them technology. And people say, hold on a second, that's not technology. But I think technology, if I looked at transport, I'd go so far as to say foot coverings or snowshoes yeah. is technology because it made people's lives a bit easier. It gave them some tool to help them get through the snow, for example. Well, I think you've hit the head, nail on the head there. Technology is any tool that you use. Yeah, whether any that tool. has to be electronic no, yeah. and a lot of the stuff we talk about is electronic, but in this case, it's about just making things better. So we had, as I said, snowshoe coverings or foot coverings, that type of thing, or we had wheels and then we had machines come along. So we've gotten better over the years at, at getting from A to B. We like to use planes a lot at the moment, and planes are great because you only need an airport at one end and get to an airport at the other end, and they can go fairly fast. I mean, most passenger flights go maybe 900 kilometres an hour, so that's pretty good, yeah. and it's a direct route. But when you start to think about all that weight, so when we look at, say, larger planes, maybe 500 tonnes, take Sydney to Melbourne, you've got to get 500 tonnes up and then you're trying to reduce air resistance. You're trying to get to that point where you're high enough and 35,000 feet, which is about 10 kilometres, 10.6 kilometres, that seems to be the magic height. Not so high that you had to spend a lot of fuel to get there, but enough fuel, enough reduction in air resistance that you're getting through the air without burning up too much in terms of that resistance. I think you've got around about at that sort of height, maybe 11 kilometres up, you've got about 70% reduction in the amount of air that you've got. So that obviously means that's fantastic. But you've got to get up there. It's a long way to get up there. You've got to do all that. And again, you've got a big heavy plane. So the solution might be trains. Now, we know, for example, with trains, that we've got some fast trains around the world. China's got a maglev train, Mm -hmm. 460 kilometres an hour. They're the only ones that's over a 400, that one train. I think Germany's got a maglev as well as Japan. Japan as well, I think. Yeah. yeah, they've got a few, but all of those are still under 400. But there's a fair mm. few around the world that are over 300. Some of them are on what I call traditional wheels. Some of them are maglev. But you're getting over 300 kilometres an hour. That's not too bad. And you don't have to try and get way up in the air. Less hassle to get through customs and get on the train. You can turn up a couple minutes before the train goes, for example. So there's a whole range of advantages to trains. But this is the holy grail. And there's a few companies out there working on it. You've got Virgin. They've got their Virgin Hyperloop. You've got the Boring Company, Elon Musk's company. But this new company from Canada is called Transpod, and they think they've nailed it. They're first working on a trip from Edmonton to Calgary. That's about 300 kilometres. $18 billion they want to spend on it. So you kind of go, well, that's a fair bit. But in transport terms, if you've got a popular route, it's probably easy to justify that kind of money. Easy Mm. for me to justify it if someone else is spending that kind of money. (laughs) But what they do with this is they're going along in a normal suburban area. And so it's kind of like a normal train. It looks pretty groovy, but like a normal train on wheels and it travels along at reasonable speeds, maybe 100 kilometres an hour. Then it goes into an airlock. When it gets to the edge of a city, it goes into an airlock and that airlock then takes you into a tube that's incredibly low pressure. Again, they want to get rid of that air resistance. Then it shoots down that tube It uses magnets to then take away those wheels, reduce the friction. So the wheels retract a bit like an aeroplane would do. And then the exciting part is you wind it up (laughs) 1,000 kilometres an hour. They even say maybe 1,200 in testing, but 1,000 kilometres an hour. And this is something where you're at ground level. You might be just above ground level. You might go in tunnels, but you're basically at ground level. So you're not trying to get it all the way up in the air. You're not burning all that energy. And then power. Some of the sorry. So is it? It's still on a track, though. It's still surrounded by. It's in a tube. In a tube. Yeah, right. And what they're doing for the tube. Some of the other ones, the maglev, for example, use the 
the actual magnets to repel each other. Mm. But this one uses magnets to attract, but they've got magnets at each corner. Mm. So you've got these groovy little things that come out on the train, and then you've got magnets. So again, you've got that attraction force at each corner, pulling the train in those areas to keep it floating, if you like, in the middle. Because again, you want less resistance, less friction, and you don't want it sitting on wheels because the ride might be a little bit rougher on wheels compared to just sitting in that tube, floating, levitating, if you like. And then it shoots down there. Again, low air resistance because you've got very little air in the actual tube. But then you want power. Now, some of the other ones, the Boring Company, for example, loads up their train with batteries because it's a bit of a pain to hook something up to the train while it's in that tube. Mm. But this one takes a different approach. This one uses a plasma approach so that it's actually getting power from the rail that's right beside it without it actually touching the rail. So it's got a small gap there. And the cool part is it glows purple when that plasma is actually (laughs) transferring power. Imagine you've got this long tube uh, with this long metal strip alongside of it there but again it doesn't touch it it just gets close enough to it that it then puts very high voltage through there to create this plasma connection people might have seen those plasma balls that you can buy from toy stores and whatnot there's a, a science experiment where you touch it and the little lightning bolts come and touch you where your fingers are or the little plasma bolts shall we say it'd be yeah. something like that okay it is it's transferring electricity via that plasma connection yeah right. so then imagine this you've got this low air resistance tube. Now, you're okay. You can still breathe just like a plane. It's pressurized inside the train. Again, you can be up at 35,000 feet. If you're out in the air, apart from being very cold, you'd have trouble breathing at 35,000 feet. Mm. But you're in a plane, it's pressurized. So the train is pressurized. But the tube has got very low pressure, reduced the air resistance. Then you're not touching the sides. You've got magnets holding mm. you there. You've got plasma providing the power. And of course, it uses magnetic propulsion in there. Yeah, the magnetic uh, propulsion can get you up to the very high speeds, the very Exactly right. So here we are, 1,000 kilometres an hour in this tube, Calgary to Edmonton in no time at all. Well, obviously some time, but pretty quick. Where I'd really love to see Do you know the actual distance between the two cities? About 300 kilometres. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So So where I'd love to see this, though, is Sydney to Melbourne. Sydney to Melbourne is the second most popular air route in the world. So when you take that, you think about all those people going between Sydney and Melbourne, and if you want numbers, you've got about, and go back pre-pandemic, you've got about 10 million passengers a year Mm. were going between Sydney and Melbourne, about 60,000 flights. To me, that's enough that you could justify spending billions of dollars. We have a problem, though, and that's because we're in a temperate zone where the temperature fluctuations are enough to create major problems with expansion and contraction of your materials on your track or your tube. Whereas Calgary to Edmonton, um, they're having uh, less fluctuations because they're in a slightly less temperate, more polar zone. Um, And the other one is you could do it in the tropics like in China with the maglevs because it's warm all the time. Yeah, yeah I, so it's it, just a little bit of an issue from what I gather in it, the in the engineering in Australia. And maybe one of the solutions to that, not that I want to try and solve a very large engineering problem in five seconds of thought, but the airlocks that they have in this particular one, obviously the idea there is that you've got something that you could also use as an expansion joint. Yeah, so you might yeah, be able to have something that you could have some expansion along that tube and then have regular airlocks along there, which could be stations anyway, because obviously yeah. you need to bring it down slower, take it to an airlock to be able to stop because you can't keep it not pressurised in there for people to get on and off. So you'd have those at regular stops along there. But I just think when you've got 
a route with that many people on there. And if you go on a straight line by air, for example, Sydney to Melbourne, it's about 700 kilometres. By road, about 850 kilometres. Again, doing something like this, where you have a very fast train or a hyperloop of some description, I just think that would be a really obvious route to try that out on. Very cool. Now, the downside of a hyperloop, downside of any train is a plane can take off from any airport and land at any airport. With yeah. this, you've got to build a track from A to B. So and it may not be ideal. Purpose. Single purpose. That's exactly right. But it's happening. There are test sites over in Las Vegas, over in Los Angeles County. So there are mini test Hyperloop tracks. But this company is convinced they've got half a billion in funding, investor funding already. They need a bit more to get to their 18 billion. But I've actually watched a little demonstration of a scale model. And what was really cool is it's a fairly heavy little train they had in the scale model, probably still weighed a few tonnes, and the person in the demonstration tries to push it. It's just sitting on the track. It's too heavy for him to just push. Then they turn on the levitation, and he can just, with one finger, push it back and forth because there's friction. Yeah, it's all gone. Zero, now, that's not, a, that's, right, that's not at low air resistance. That's just taking the friction away from yeah. anything in contact there. So you start to see them doing scale models. You think, well, maybe they're not far away of saying, let's go and build a real one and see how we go. It sounds yeah, pretty exciting. It'll be pretty cool when it happens. Yeah, very good. Netflix is working very hard, folks. Very hard indeed. They're desperately trying to find the next big hook in the very competitive world of online streaming. They've had a poke at Netflix online gaming, and Matthew, it seems to have fallen flat on its face. Yeah, I'm not sure if I feel sorry for Netflix. Uh, They're still a fairly big company. They've (laughs) still got 221 million subscribers, so hard to feel sorry for them, but they did really push the whole envelope with streaming and there's a lot of other streaming services now. Well, it's about being innovative and, and trying to do something different to your competitors. Yeah, and, and they were, I, I don't know they were first to market, but certainly they were very early to market with streaming services. So I think they've changed what we do to a large extent. So that's fantastic. But they've been feeling the pressure from some other streaming providers and we've talked a little bit about that. We've actually even mentioned the whole concept of gaming before. So they invested a cool 100 mil in their gaming platform thinking this will get us more subscribers, this will keep the wolves away from the door, we'll make sure those other streaming services aren't as good as us. But hmm, the downside is they've only got about 1.7 million people playing out of their 221 million. So less than 1% of users are actually using their gaming. It could (laughs) be because the gamers have already got their platform of choice that they're they're using. I actually think you're right. Without, again, having all the research and data to back me up, I would have assumed that Netflix probably did all that and there's some executives there who said, show me the report to say why we're going to go down this gaming path or maybe they did it on a whim, but I'm sure they're a bit cleverer than that. Mm. So... I kind of feel the same as you, that I'm going to go and get on my gaming console to play my game, Mm. and I'm going to go to my streaming service to watch my show or my movie or my whatever it might be. Go to my streaming provider to play games, I'm maybe not going to do that so much. And and you're only going to play the online game if your friends are playing that game too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Probably part of the issue as well is... They've only got 24 games. I see that as a bit of an issue because you want choice there. Obviously, they've got Stranger Things, so that's popular, but you need more than just one. You need Mm. probably a variety of games to attract lots of people. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know whether they're going to say, good idea, gave it a crack, 
blew 100 mil, we'll move on and yeah. just try and provide better streaming services or whether they'll go, we're going to keep flogging this, we've spent 100 mil on it, <laughs> we're going to keep flogging it until we finally get enough games out there. Once James and Matthew start playing games on Netflix, we know we've cracked it, we're going to keep working at it. So I don't know what the future holds, but at this stage, the execs are sitting around going, mm, not it's, exactly It's not a happy being the winner that they thought it was going to no, be. No, that's right. Most of you will be glad to know that the days of the bathroom scales are very much numbered. Who needs them? We're all getting better ideas of the ways to measure health and uh, they go well beyond the simple number on a digital scale, which is really gratifying, folks, let's face it. Now, a new iPhone app is crunching out a whole body profile to put together a bunch of data points about your health status and Matt... I hope it's not going to be just another way to beat ourselves up with a bigger stick. Well, I think it is. I think that's exactly <laughs> right, what it okay. is. I think so we are getting so good. it's not just one number that I have to hate. No, <laughs> lots of numbers lots now. Lots of numbers I'm now going to hate. And then how do I compare those numbers and which ones are good <laughs> and bad? Which one should I ignore? And I think this is part of the thing. We are really focused on our health and our wearables and our tech around our health. It doesn't mean we're getting healthier. It just mm. means we know how unhealthy we are. It's probably impacting on mental health out there. Well, it could be as well. Oh, no, I've got to get my BMI below a certain number yeah. and I've lost it again and I just had a bit of cake. Oh, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> so you might be right. It might be an issue and I'm sure there's an app out there to look at that as well. But in this particular case, iPhone in particular, the app is focused on iPhones, but I'm sure there'll be other versions that come out for Android as well, is using the infrared and the depth sensing technology. Now, I looked at those when they were first introduced to phones and I thought, great, they'll be used for augmented reality, they'll be used for gaming, but this is a pretty clever use of it as well. So what you do is you wear tight-fitting T-shirts. I'm glad they didn't ask you to be naked in front of the phone. (laughs) Then start to worry about where do these images go. But you just wear a tight-fitting T-shirt, tight-fitting shorts, I mean, something that you might, say, go running in or go to the gym in, but basically something that's tight-fitting. And then you sit your phone so it's facing you and you basically turn your body around with the app running and then you take the phone again and go to the lower half of your body and do the same process where you turn that around. Then it does a scan, sends it off to the cloud, takes about 15 minutes and then comes back with a full report on your body. So it tells you your BMI, your waist-to-hips ratio, which a lot of people look at, your waist-to-height ratio, your target heart rate, your body fat percentage percentage, sorry, body fat percentage estimate, how much fat-free mass you have, fat-free mass percentage, your ideal weight range, a whole range of things from a scan of your body. A lot more than your bathroom scales will do. Exactly right. Now, I've got pretty cool bathroom scales. It does tell me body fat percentage and BMI, so I think that's pretty cool. But all of this sounds pretty good as well. It also even gives you your measurements of your biceps, your chest, your narrow waist, your stomach, all sorts of things. That all sounds fascinating. I don't know what some of those numbers are meant to be, but of course the app will give you some indications, some coloured indications to tell you which ones of those are in good or poor areas. So you've got all that information there and then you can start focusing on that. But I think where it will go next using all that is into the clothing market. Because when we order clothes online, we take a bit of a guess. Oh, it wants your waist to be X number of centimetres, right? That looks about right. I'll order those. Oh, they came in. They're not quite what I thought they'd be. They're a bit tight. They're a bit loose. Most of those retailers that you send it back, but it's a bit of a hassle to do all that. Mm. So physical retailers have still got a place to pace to pay in this world where you can go in and still try things on and go, that feels good, that feels bad, whatever. But if you could do this where you had an avatar, if you like, of your body 
and you sent it off to your online specialist clothing retailer and said, here's my avatar, there are all my measurements. Suit me up. Suit me up with exactly that. Now, it may well be customise those clothes or it might just be, oh yes, we know that you need a large because we know your measurements and you're not lying about those measurements. What's your waist, sir? 82 centimetres. Are you sure? Are you, are you just telling me that? And really it's 89 centimetres and you just try to look a bit better and then you suck it in while you put the pants on. Oh, that feels fine. <laughs> but they'd actually have the exact measurements that you have of your body and they'd send you clothing that would fit absolutely like a glove. So as much as it might be used initially for health, I think that's the real market for this, getting the clothing to fit you perfectly. Intelligence is an exciting industry, folks, and big things are happening in robotics all the time. Mimicking the human experience has not been easy, but over the past 40 years, we seem to be getting closer and closer and less and less clunky. An artificial finger has been developed now and can identify a variety of materials just by touch. Matthew, what are the details behind this modern marvel? And I think it isn't even touch. I think it just needs to get close enough yeah, and right. it can sense those different materials. It can smell the steel. <laughs> almost, almost. So the device has got four small sensors on there and they've got different polymers on there. And then as it gets close, they've got different electrical properties on those different polymers and the sensors get close enough, electrons from each square interact with the surface in a slightly different way which is then measured and then compared to its own internal database of, oh, wood normally gives me these measurements. This one matches those measurements closer than the other substances. This must be some form of wood or plastic or glass or metal. Yeah, so right. it detects that. The accuracy at this stage, now remember this is early days, you can't go and buy this at the moment, but the accuracy at the moment is about 90%. That's not too bad, and again, these are early days. That's when it was using 12 different substances to detect, so wood, glass, plastic, silicon, etc., to give you some different things for it to detect. So then I started thinking, well, how's this going to be useful? It's all well and good sometimes to develop technology and say, hey, look at this cool new thing we've got. But I'm always thinking, well, how am I going to use that in the real world? And I think you probably would talk about maybe sensing how you pick up things. Well, robotics becoming intuitive, and this is AI at its finest, right? So we've got robotics uh, that have been designed now that to work in in uh, plants and whatnot, Amazon and uh, and manufacturing um, that will do a particular job, and provided everything is sort of placed in exactly the right spot and it's made of the, exactly the same stuff and. Uh, and, and everything is completely predictable, then those robots work very well. Mm. But as soon as, and we found out with that little boy who played chess the other day, <laughs> yeah, um, as soon as something changes, they're no good, yeah. right? So we now, now need the next generation of robots to be more intuitive and to be able to make decisions for themselves based on the environment that, they, uh, that is changing around them. And so, I think this is what's, what this is about. Yeah, and so just imagine then, for example, picking up something and being able to have a different amount of force, so that child's finger we talked about, yeah, a good yeah, one, yeah. oh, soft, squidgy finger, I might yeah, just... That's not, not an ivory <laughs> chess piece. <laughs> that's right, I might not twist it quite as hard. So if it could pick up a plastic or a glass or metal, it could apply a different amount of pressure in picking that up so that it could pick it up and grip it without breaking it. So metal, I can press pretty hard on that. Glass, maybe not so much. 
plastic, well, I can still grab it fairly hard, and maybe I need to grab that harder to get a good rip, and I know I'm not going to break it, depending on the type of plastic that it might be. So it starts to give you those sort of things. Robots to clean up your kitchen. There we go. Done. I'm happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) But it is fascinating in my mind, just where we're getting to the point where you might have smart fingers. Now, you might make prosthetics out of it, for example, but I can also see gloves being used that you could actually have that would tell you different types of substances that you were picking up. Not sure why you'd want that, but it Mm. sounds cool. (laughs) Mm. But and again, sometimes you don't know how these things are going to be used until you get them and start using them. And then people come up with different uses. The same people that create them aren't necessarily the people who come up with the great uses for them. Mm. It might be something that changes over time. But I do find it fascinating that just by four little sensors, four little plastic polymer sensors, you actually be able to work out what it is, exactly as you said before, not via cameras, not via vision, mm. but by what's happening with that interaction there. It's amazing, isn't it, how much we as humans can work out. We're pretty clever. We see something, we touch something, we feel something. Even when we pick something up, we can detect as we're picking it up without looking at it yeah. how hard we need to grip it to pick it up without breaking it so we are really clever how you try and get that artificial intelligence onto a robot to make it as clever as us that's the real challenge that's the big challenge yeah absolutely now what happens when one tech supergiant goes into an arm wrestle with another someone is going to walk away embarrassed in a very public way, as Google has found out in trying to shame Apple into taking on the cross-platform messaging app RCA, uh, RCS. Matt, how did Apple respond to Google? <laughs> have a guess. Have a wild <laughs> guess how you might think that Apple says we're going to play. We appreciate your request <laughs> um, and we will consider it but continue to do what we're doing anyway. That's right, because we are Apple. Because we're Apple. Now, the problem comes down to the blue or the green message. That's what it's all about. Uh, It's status, isn't it? It is. It is so much. And this, talk about mental health earlier, this is a real mental health issue for some kids because some of the kids that have got a little bit more money or their parents have got a bit more money can send messages back and forth to each other and they see the lovely little blue message Mm. and then they go to send a message to someone else and it comes up green and they go oh they're not an apple user they've got something different haven't they so it is about status and unfortunately there are some people on the school ground who choose maybe not to message those people so much or Mm. choose to treat those people slightly differently even if it might be just in jest it still sometimes stings a little bit And there's probably some other things as well, but that's Mm. really one of the the first issues. So there is this universal system that's universal with everyone else except Apple. And that's RCS. RCS, exactly right. Now, what Google's trying to do is they're trying to shame Apple into being part of it. They've got a new website, a get the message website, a get the message hashtag, because RCS could be used by everyone, including Apple. And it basically gives you the same features you've got with iMessage, but across all different phones, all different platforms. So it sounds like it makes sense. It sounds like it's good. I mean, one big advantage of iMessage is that you can be, for example, overseas and you're not using your normal phone carrier for messaging people where you might want to use a text message, which might be expensive, international roaming. You can use iMessage just with a Wi-Fi connection at a cafe mm. and you'll still send text messages, but it's using the Apple ecosystem, the Apple iMessage system. But again... That means I can only send messages to my friends that have got Apple phones. RCS would give you that same advantage, being able to use the internet rather than just your phone carrier, 
But again, you've got to have everyone playing the same game with RCS, everyone using the same standard. It feels a bit like a VHS versus beta war. <laughs> the only difference is if you want to call the Apple system the beta system, they got a trillion dollar company behind them, which beta didn't have. VHS might be the common standard that everyone else ends up using, but you've still got beta over there with a trillion dollars in their back pocket. So mm. uh, where will this go? I'd love to think in a perfect world we'd all play nicely together. But it really comes down to who can flex their muscles the most, who can sell the most product. And at the moment, I just don't see Apple budging on this because they don't have to. Because they don't need to. Yeah, yeah there's no threat right. for them. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's going to happen? Google trying to shame Apple users or shame Apple first into something. Well, it might even increase that status. It <laughs> might even demonstrate to people, I didn't know what the blue and the green were. Now I know about it. Whoa, I'm definitely only going to use blue to talk to my friends. And now there's going to be a whole lot of people going to search stuff up on Bing. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Watch <Yeah>. out, Google. <laughs> Keep an eye on this. I, I, I'm interested. I, I don't think it'll change. Legislation, I think, is probably the only way it will change. A bit like USB-C, mm. legislation has changed there, where in Europe, as we know, that's all changing. That'll probably happen across the rest of the world. September, not far away, new Apple products being released. Will they be USB-C? Hmm, I think it's too early for that yet, but it'll happen. So maybe that's the only way this will happen as well. Legislation, which sounds like it's stifling innovation a bit when you've got to legislate the yeah. technology companies, but maybe that's the way that'll happen. Watch this space very carefully, folks. And here's some more from the world of artificial intelligence, straight out of the files of James Bond, or perhaps maybe Maxwell Smart, are some earbuds that can interpret commands from you silently mouthing words. Matt, I've got two audible words for you, and they are, what the? <laughs> I thought you were going to mouth them at me there. I was going to say, mouthing yeah. words on a podcast probably doesn't work doesn't that well, work. does it? <laughs> what am I saying now? Well, here's something interesting. I don't know how accurate it is. In the movies, it's incredibly accurate with someone lip, lip reads. So they can sit there and they can watch lip reading across the other side of the room and have a perfectly intelligent conversation with someone watching their lips, unless it's Seinfeld, when you see lip reading, <laughs> and they give a completely different interpretation of what happens, which is what I would imagine. I mean, there's an excellent uh, YouTube channel that does a bad lip reading as well. It's fantastic. Right. Look it up, folks. Okay. okay. So in this particular scenario, researchers have found, and I don't know what they were looking for in the first place, but they found that the ear canal changes shape very specifically as we talk, because let's face it, our jaw's moving up and down, mm. different parts of our ear are moving. So they've worked out that they might be able to track the movement in our ear canal to see what someone is saying wow. or detect what someone wow. is saying. That does sound <laughs> fantastic. They've got to the point where they can recognise 32 single word commands, 25 sentence length commands, and they're only making mistakes about 10% of the time. So I'm thinking about the usefulness of this. That you've got this earpiece in your ear. You are not making any noises with your mouth. You're just mouthing the words and trying to speak normally, I presume. Mm -hmm. And then you've got it, what, it stores up in your earpiece. Maybe that sends a message to a phone or something like that as to what is actually being said. That's right. But I imagine when I was starting to look at this story, I imagine that then you can have this whole conversation without saying anything, convert it to text on your phone or convert it to audio and let's have a conversation with someone at the other end. Imagine sitting on the plane, for example, and you're waiting to take off and you hate those phone calls about, hi, darling, yes, I'll be home. Oh, I love you very much. You're going, oh, please, I don't want to hear this whole conversation. <laughs> I just Can you just send a text or something, please? Yeah. But you could do that conversation. But it's not enough 
there aren't enough words that will be recognised to have that whole conversation. Where the researchers are talking about is you might be able to say, for example, call someone in particular or open up a certain app or instead of saying Alexa or Hey Siri, you might actually be able to start that. But then when you do that, you're still got to have the rest of the conversation. Call mum, you might be able to do by mouthing, but then when you call mum, you want to have a conversation with her. (laughs) So what did you achieve really by this process? Not much. This is only useful in the world of Maxwell Smart or James Bond. Yeah, I think so. I think it would be a perfect Get Smart episode, wouldn't it? I think where you could (laughs) use it and then you could have all the funny things that happen after... Maxwell Smart is trying to say the words, mouthing them, but only having a vocabulary of 32 words, for example. So I can see a whole skit being done on that. How useful is it in the real world? Mm, at this stage, I'm struggling to see it. And I do libraries, maybe. I do, I do like, yeah, I do like to see how technology might the be used in the real world. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's probably it. Maybe you could you could have some commands, for example, like what's the weather. And you could then see the weather come up on your phone. But if you're doing that, wouldn't you just go to the weather app on your phone? That's right. And couldn't you just talk and use your words? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So I'm thinking of a place where it's quiet. Library is a good example. On the plane's another example. A place where people have taken – everyone's taken a vow of silence. <laughs> yeah, maybe. A place where you shouldn't be using your phone, maybe in the classroom, for example. Ooh, so you're mouthing some yes. of those words. What's the answer to this particular maths problem? That's that might a problem. be one. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. right. So, and you've got to be careful with that. I went through a jail tour recently, just jumping off topic here slightly, went through a, a tour of a jail. And it's a fascinating, confronting place to go in a jail, but it's illegal to have a mobile phone in a jail for mm. obvious reasons. So when we're standing at the entrance to go in for the tour, we had to hand our phone in. We handed our phone in and I didn't even think about the watch on my wrist, which is a phone in its own right and can yeah. work away from my phone. So I'm sitting there talking to the warden that was about to take us for a tour. And then I said, oh, hold on. I've got a watch that's connected to the outside world. I probably should hand in as well. He said, yeah, if you had have gone in with that, you would have just committed a crime. Oh, oh wow. Glad wow. I just thought about that at the last minute because it wasn't front of mind. Handing my phone in was front of mind. For the people that work there every day, take your watch off, take your phone off because it is front of mind for them. But for me, it wasn't. Anyway, off topic slightly no. there. But, but that's the sort of thing in environments where you shouldn't have a phone – maybe mouthing words to send commands might be useful. Uh, <laughs> I hope they would use that in a legitimate way, oh, not an illegitimate way. Ideas in naughty people's heads. Oh, I've done it now, haven't I? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, the lolly bag is empty, but for a few sprinkles and some empty wrappers. Thanks for another sweet tech talk, Matt. <laughs> oh, did you see me mouth that then? <laughs> I can hear it in my earpiece, though. It's all right. Uh, now I'm off to iron some shirts for the next week. Oh, good work. I'm James Eddy. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We hope you're enjoying the show as much as we enjoy putting it together. Catch you again in another week's time.